Well, during the week, I've been reading a book called The Manual, Getting the Masculinity Right. Uh, it's by a former bishop, assistant bishop in Sydney called Al Stewart, and it's not the type of book that I usually read, but as rector, you don't always get to do the fun stuff. Uh, the reason I don't usually read books with titles like this is that I hate all the man up, alpha male, be strong, lead women stuff. Uh, we've seen that uh, over many years now, last 10, 20, 30 years. And if you're a woman, you've probably seen it all your life. But I have to say that the book was a lot better than I expected. The walls of hierarchalism are crumbling uh, in practice, if not in theory. There's a lot of good stuff in it. There's some bits I don't agree with, but I agree with the main thesis. And that is that boys need to grow up to be men. Al says, boys look after themselves, men look after the people around them. Or rather... To be the men that God intends them to be, they need to care for the people around them. There are teenage men and some males who are still boys in their 50s, 60s and 70s. Al argues healthy masculinity is the willingness to take responsibility and to use the gifts and opportunities men have to care for and nurture those around them. Now you may think that that's uh, really just a reasonable definition of what it means to be an adult, uh, whether you're male or female, uh, and I would agree with that. But Al's point is that society and the lives of women would be a lot better if more men were not selfish, immature and irresponsible and truly did care for the people around them their wives and parents and children and workmates and friends. And he provides some very good biblical, practical advice on how to do that. The reason I mention this book today is that a lot of what Al has to say on boys growing up into men, men like Jesus, who put other people first, who was servant-hearted and, and stood up for women, like the woman caught in adultery, um, Jesus is the exemplary man for us. Uh, he says that that wisdom is found in the book of Proverbs. And he quotes passages of Proverbs right the way through the book. And that's the book that we're looking at at the moment, an Old Testament book. Al draws on Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Men must be humble. He draws on Proverbs 12, 19 about telling the truth. And Proverbs 24, 26 about giving honest answers. He looks at friendships in Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I have some good friends here. I trust you. And the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. We can't become mature on our own. We need good friends. Al sees a place for some competitiveness, competitiveness in Proverbs 27, 17. 
As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And he draws on Proverbs 27.1 to warn against boasting about the future. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be great. He looks elsewhere in the Bible to discuss the need for self-control, but there are many proverbs on that. We saw the need for self-discipline when we started this series last week. A boy who grew up listening to and taking on board these proverbs would soon be a man we could all value and admire. So wisdom written down 3,000 years ago is still useful today. The wisdom is for both men and women, but I think Al is right that a lot of work needs to be put into boys and men so that they do not make up 92% of our prison population, so they do not make up 75% of our suicides, so that domestic family violence is eradicated, and so that boys fall no further behind educationally and they are not destroyed physically, emotionally and relationally by pornography. And so they are capable of mature, mutually sustaining relationships with men and women. A large study from Britain found that the boys, that boys' IQs have fallen by about 15% since the 1980s. And that's not good for anyone. So onto our blast of wisdom from the past for today, the, the second half of Proverbs 1. We meet for the first time Lady Wisdom. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. And we may wonder who she is. And people who've studied and used this book for for centuries has referred to this person as Lady Wisdom, and, and so will I. And the best way to understand her is to see her as the personification of God's wisdom. She is not God, like the Son or the Holy Spirit, nor is she a real person, separate and distinct from God. In a sense, she is a literary device to make God's plea for us to follow his ways even more personal. She becomes like a mother caring for her children and wishing good for them. I should comment on the choice to portray wisdom as feminine. I say feminine rather than female because the reason she is not male or masculine is that the Hebrew word for wisdom is chokmah, and that is in the feminine case. Therefore, the personification of wisdom as a lady follows the case of the word used for wisdom. So we can't say, because lady wisdom is female, women are smarter than men, uh, although many are. But equally, we cannot say that women have an inferior status to men. Women can equally be vehicles for God's wisdom, as we see so often here. Last week we saw that the way to acquire wisdom is to listen. 
And it starts with the fear of the Lord. Fear here means reverence and respect and submitting to the revealed will of God. Fearing the Lord and loving God with all your hearts are synonyms or two sides of the same coin. It is not that we have to fear God some of the time and love him for the rest of the time. Respect, reverence, trust and obedience are the life and love of the faithful at all times. As you know, meaning comes from context and the words chosen. And here, these words are set in the time of King Solomon, David's son, about 3,000 years ago. Israel was at its peak under David in the early, uh, and the early years of Solomon. David, with the help of God, had secured the borders and Israel was safe. No more Goliath, no more Philistines. They were safe and rich. Solomon built the magnificent temple to the Lord in Jerusalem, one of the wonders of the world. So why these words of warning? Why does Lady Wisdom build up these multiple images of stupidity, mockers refusing to listen, people hating knowledge, choosing ways other than the Lord's, not accepting God's advice, spurning the Lord's rebuke, eating the fruit of their evil ways, waywardness and complacency. It's quite a list, isn't it? So why these words of warning and rebuke when Israel was at its peak? Why not just a call to be thankful that the the Lord was fulfilling his promises of prosperity and peace for his people in Israel? My guess is that the writer of the Proverbs was providing the people of Israel the wisdom they would need to deal with the challenges that lay ahead. And because that writer knew that the seeds of destruction were already in the hearts of the people of Israel. As the prophet Jeremiah would say 500 years later, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Selfishness, self-interest, and the sense we know better lie in the hearts of each one of us. Solomon himself did not always listen to the Lord. It is clear from Genesis 2 that a man, if he is to have a wife, must have only one, as it talks of two becoming one. Not a thousand women and one man becoming one. How could that ever produce the oneness of marriage? Because Solomon, we're told, had 700 wives and 3,300 concubines. There's not a lot of wisdom in that. Towards the end of Solomon's reign, people started jockeying for position to take over from Solomon, which is another judgment on his lack of wisdom. Uh, The kingdom divided making it vulnerable to outsiders and bringing all the problems that flow from civil war. The larger northern part quickly picked up aspects of pagan religions around them. But in time, both the northern and southern kingdoms turned their backs on the laws of Moses 
and the God of Israel and manifestly did not follow the advice of Lady Wisdom. And prophets like Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah and many others would echo the warnings Lady Wisdom gives here. If you turn your back on God, he will turn his back on you. I suspect that some of us may be concerned with some of the language of Lady Wisdom. We may understand her call to repent and her rebuke for those who don't, but but verses 26 um, are, are pretty challenging. If you reject God, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. That's not very nice, is it? But what what is God to do? He shares his creation with all humanity. He sets aside a special place for his chosen people, Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey. He fights their battles for them, offers them his protection, provides them his prophets and uh, instruction on how to live well before him. And they just want to sing another Frank Sinatra song. Last week we had... Dooby dooby doo. This week we have I Did It My Way. They could have been singing that. Of course, it does not say God did laugh at their misfortunes. It's a warning that He might. His patience will run out. And the proverb is saying, No one likes to be laughed at for their stupidity, so don't be stupid. Return and follow God's ways. God did not want disaster to sweep over Israel. His rebuke was given out of love. But sooner or later, those who go their own ways must live with the consequences. Now, I don't wish hell for anyone. It gives me no pleasure to think that anyone will end up there. But we are all free to choose. And Lady Wisdom shows that the way forward is clear. Seek the knowledge of God. Listen to his rebuke when we stray and return to him in repentance. Accept his hand stretched out to us. Take his advice. Fear the Lord. Show him the love and respect he deserves and all will be well. Not that bad things won't happen. We still live in a broken world with natural disasters and the evil things that we can do to each other. But in all essential ways, we will be safe and at ease and without fear when we live in the hands of God. When we listen to Lady Wisdom, we can become the people God wants us to be. When we turn our problems over to God, he will help us through them. As I suggested in the reference to Al Stewart's book earlier, there is enough wisdom here to become good grown-ups. And Lady Wisdom shows that we humans have not changed much 
over the last 3,000 years. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Simple here doesn't mean someone with a low IQ or someone who is straightforward. When we talk of someone who is simple today, no moral judgment is intended. But in the book of Proverbs, simple generally means someone without moral direction or inclined to evil. So it could read, how long will you who like and do evil follow your evil ways? Uh, There are many mockers today. Mockery is the way of many of our critics. We are accused of believing in a giant sky daddy. Despite the fact that a vast multitude of very intelligent people, professors and leading intellects, over thousands of years have believed in God, the God we meet in Jesus. We're mocked as people who need the safety blanket of a God. If you still think there is anything in the criticisms of the new atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, uh, I suggest you, uh, let's see, um, you read Atheist Delusions by David Bentley Hart. He exposes our mockers as ignorant intellectual frauds. Dawkins may be a good geneticist, but he is pathetic at theology, philosophy and ethics, among other things. His understanding of God is facile and pathetic. And I'm really glad that David Bentley Hart is on our side because I would really hate to ever have to come up and argue against him. He is an amazing intellect, but he really, you know, you might think, oh, words pathetic and facile, not the type of words we should be bandying around. But after you've read his book, you sort of go, that's mild. They just don't get who God is. We can say to these atheists, I don't believe in the God you don't believe in. Your idea of God is far, far, far too small. I believe in the God we meet in Jesus. And the good news is, so can you. And the way is to listen to God. Accept his rebuke, repent and call on him to help understand and follow him. Today our proverb has taken us into the heart of God's plans for humanity. The message is no different from uh, from that of Jesus. Choose God's ways, not your own. Jesus describes himself as the living water, the bread of life, the one who gives life now and forever. He is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep and the gate to eternal life. He is the way, the truth and the light. The metaphor of Lady Wisdom as the personification of God's wisdom is complemented by the metaphor of Jesus as the word of God. Sorry, I just can't get that there. There we go. Jesus, uh, just replacing uh, the words wisdom with Jesus uh, at the beginning of our reading today, starts like this. Out in the open, Jesus calls aloud, 
and raises his voice in the public square. On top of the wall, he cries out. At the city gate, he makes his speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will muckers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? And just think of how many times Jesus exposed and criticised hypocrisy. Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. It works, doesn't it? Jesus' call was made in public. He poured out his thoughts on those who would listen. He made known the way to his kingdom and eternal life with God. And that was summarised as repent and believe the good news. Choose God's wisdom and life. I said last week that some have found it hard to see where the book of Proverbs fits into the story of the Bible. But if you think about the passage today, in a sense, it tells the story of Israel, the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve had full access to the wisdom of God. They got to walk with him in the cool of the morning. God told them what they were not to do, but their simple one, these simple ones chose their simple ways and ate the forbidden fruit and suffered the consequences. Likewise, the people uh, who came after the great flood of Noah's time saw what happened when they did not follow God's ways and very quickly went back to the ways that had caused the flood in the first place. And Israel, having been rescued from slavery in Egypt and received God's blessing through the promised land and the laws of Moses, quickly ignored his advice. They followed the ways of the people around them and ultimately mocked him in the way they thought and they thought that they were safe. God, they had God in his temple. God was in his box and under control and we're safe. And that he would never leave. And yet he did, because his people had left him. And after the destruction of the temple in exile in Babylon, still the people of Israel would not follow the wisdom of God. Yet God still stood there holding out his promise and his offer of safety if they would only love and respect him. Lady Wisdom tells the story of Israel in a few verses and that offer still stands. Of course, the people who heard this the first time over 900 years ago, before Jesus lived, knew nothing of the exile or the person we know as Jesus. But they had God's wisdom here. And the message of God through the proverbial writing is much the same as that of Jesus. Repent you of your foolish ways and choose my ways. And if you do, you will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. That's how our reading today ended. Or, or as Jesus would say, sorry, I just can't get direct line to it, thanks. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That yoke is Jesus' teaching, his wisdom, 
the wisdom that is entirely compatible with the wisdom of lady wisdom. You may not think that lady wisdom is always gentle and humble of heart. She offers judgment and rebuke and disaster to those who follow their ways. And Jesus did exactly the same. The words of God in the hands of Jesus are sharper than any double-edged sword. They penetrate even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what we know of the word of God in Jesus. Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And the choice Jesus offered was exactly the same as lady wisdom. Truth or lie. Life or death. There is no middle ground. So what are you going to do this year? Can I, can I suggest a really good place to start is with the word of God, and you have done that, and I commend you for doing that here today. But, but let's keep reading. Let's, let's meet here regularly. Let, let's listen to God and be the people that he wants us to be. Let's choose life. Let's follow lady wisdom. Let's follow Jesus. And let's rest in the everlasting arms of Jesus, which is our next song. Amen. Amen.